mine. Correct. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of UFO Undercover. I hope wherever you're listening to it on our beautiful blue planet, you are having a great day, great morning, great afternoon, great evening. Uh, I know we cover pretty much every time zone on the planet these days, so to everybody, hi, because I know to my friends in the U.K., it's 1 o'clock in the morning, and y'all are staying up and listening to us, and I really appreciate that. And for some of my friends in Australia, I know it's quite early in the morning, so I'm glad y'all are staying up and listening for my friends over in New Zealand at lunchtime or close to lunchtime, I hope y'all are having a good day, too. Um, it's one of my favorite ones of my favorite reasons I like doing this show is because we do cover so many time zones and we do get so much input from so many time zones. So, you know, over the years we've been able to kind of even track UFO sightings and abductions through time zones, which has been a very interesting thing. But anyway, tonight's guest is going to be Craig R. Lang. Um, he's a hypnotherapist. He's actually quite good. I enjoyed speaking to him last time he was on the show. Uh, I've been reading through a lot of his material on the site. I see he writes quite a few articles, so I've been digging through there and stuff. Yeah, y'all know how I like to just be nosy about everything I can be. But anyway, Craig, how you doing this evening? Great, yeah. Thanks for having me back on. Oh, I enjoyed having you on last time, and I was glad to see you get back on. I know um, most times we're booked up two or three months in advance, so it's kind of hard just to flip people, um, which is the only downside to being booked well in it. <laughs> but, uh, and popularity as hell, isn't it? <laughs> well, I like it. Well, I personally, I like it better. I know who's coming on the show, and I can post them to the sites and, uh, you know, get stuff done and do a little research or Linda have Linda or somebody do some research for me in, in case I'm too lazy at the time <laughs> or something. <laughs> but, um, so how's the book? I mean, it's been selling okay? You've been, you've been getting... Yeah, it's been, uh, for a self-published book, it's doing really, really great. You're on Lulu.com. Yeah, right, right yeah, which is uh, basically, it's a glorified printing press. Hey. hey. So, yeah, I mean, basically, I sell, I've sold about 300 copies or so, 250 or so, roughly, oh, which yeah. is, you know, not bad. Yeah. As a self-published work, it's not bad. Oh, people, get out there, buy the man. Yeah, book. buy it. Come buy it. on, y'all. Oh. Like I, I, but like I say, for a self-published work, it's pretty good. Y'all, now listen, I know how many listeners this show has. Y'all should have bought at least a thousand books from this man. I'm embarrassed now. Yeah. Get your little check. And what is it, like 1999 or yep, something? 1995. Oh, come on, guys. Look, <laughs> man. Oh, I'm disappointed. <laughs> I'm just disappointed. I don't know. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, I am going to finally put out a book. And I'm, I'm telling y'all, this is only because of peer pressure from my fellow ufologist. It's the Go only reason it's going to get written. Um, well, I don't have a choice. They've been giving me hell now for like a year and a half. <laughs> I actually started working on it. Mm-hmm. I, I can tell you it's going to go in some interesting directions, but we'll mm-hmm. talk about that up in upcoming shows. Um, well, you know, you know how it is, Craig. If you don't write one, they don't leave you alone. Mm-hmm. You know, it, our, our, our other ufologists, I should say, especially me because I have a really big mouth. So you know, <laughs> I don't mind, you know, stating my opinion about things. So, so they, want it. they want it on paper. That's what they told me. They want it on paper. I said, guys, it's on audio archive. I mean, come on. <laughs> we want it on paper. I said, yeah. okay, we'll put it on paper. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, yeah, I'm working on the next book, and I'm also, I'm also, I just finished writing a science fiction that I'm now starting to try and find a publisher for. Oh, science, what's your, what is it about? It's about abduction. Is it? Now, uh, you see, now you're going to confuse them, <laughs> Now, you heard what I was telling you before the break, contactees are moody. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, yeah, they're going to get all confused. And you got to watch, because, you know, over the years I've noticed that, you know, one thing about contactees, they're, they're very bright, but in the same aspect, they're very dumb. <laughs> 
How's that? And I, I notice that they'll do things that, that just it's just sheer dumbness. I, I have no idea why they do them. I, they just do it. And I'm fascinated by that. Say more about what you mean by that. Well, I've noticed over the years that a contactee is its own worst enemy. It's not the media. It's not the job. It's not the wife. It's not the husband. It's not the kids. It's not ufology. The contactee is their own worst enemy. I have had contactees call me up right, I mean, within minutes of being put back and then do what they're doing. They're going to take a shower. They're cleaning themselves up. I mean, they're destroying the evidence. And, mm-hmm. and, and I see this on a, on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. I mean, pretty much every day. I mean, contactees will call me and tell me about something. Happened. Or they'll say, well, Joe, I had this experience last week, but, you know, that was a week ago, and I didn't want to call you at the time. And I'm like, well, what? Call me anytime." <laughs> you know, I think that's, to a certain extent, uh, that's built into the phenomenon. Oh, I think it is, too. Right? It's not, uh, you know, it's not like some that's wrong with a contactee or something like that. It's actually built into the phenomenon. Oh, I think it's it's part of the programming yeah. at the very least. Because, you know, one of the other things we've noticed is, is, is they'll come in, you know, and they'll start making progress. Or they'll start understanding things and, and they'll start getting involved. And then all of a mm-hmm. sudden, out of the blue, they flip. And yeah. you've got to kind of wonder why. And, and it's it's... You know, for some of them, there's a legitimate reason for yeah. it. You know, but then a lot of them, there's not. Yeah. And you know, over the, it's one of the things I've been dealing with over the last four years is this on and off kind of thing with abductions. Mm-hmm. Some of them are more stable than others. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. But in general, I find that at least 60 or 70 percent of them, when they get to a certain truth, they flip. They can't yeah. take it anymore. They've, Flip they've had, meaning turn off or lock up? Yeah, they, up. Just, they, they, just, they just lock themselves up. Yeah. It's not and that they lose can... interest in the field, but they lose interest in really doing anything with it or moving it forward or even, you know, because this isn't, what contactees forget sometimes, it's not about them, it's about all of them. Right. You know, I understand that, you know, they're being contacted and they're being abducted and, and it's either a good or a bad or a different experience, but they're not the only one. You know, mm-hmm. in America, I think there's been three million reports to date. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's about uh, the 300 million people, and it's somewhere between a tenth of a percent and a one and one percent. So there's somewhere between 300,000 and three million, uh, you know, abductees, contactees, experiencers, whatever term you want to use. Uh, we, you know, for us, we figure that if we go just by the people who contact us and figure that maybe one to two percent of the population of contactees are willing to come forward, then it puts it. A little bit higher, like yeah. 15, 18, 20 percent range. But there's no way of knowing that. I mean, you're saying 15 to 18, 20 percent. Actually, if you go by with the contact, you say it's one third of the population. Wow, that's pretty high. Yeah. So that's that's what the contact D say. Now, yeah. I, I can honestly say I have no evidence to substantiate that at all. I, yeah. I have evidence to substantiate that. You know, it's higher than 10 percent. You know, originally that's what yeah. I thought it was about 10 percent. That's, that's still really high. Yeah, and I originally thought it was about 10 percent of the population. And, yeah. Uh, well, because this is how we figured it, Craig. We figured it started out as 1 percent of the population 25,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. But since then, through breeding, marriages, and on and on and on, it brings. If you do it, if you do the math, it should be one third of the population from the start. From, That's interesting. From yeah. twenty-five thousand years ago, working forward, it should be about one third of the population. We're okay. still sitting as an organization at the ten to fifteen percent mark mm, because interesting. we don't really have any evidence to suggest yeah. any more than that, unless you want to do it by the numbers. And which you're is the it? first person I've heard that uh, actually used that large of numbers. 
because I'm the only one brave enough to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, that could be. <laughs> well, it's not that. I, um, I've talked with Bud Hopkins and David Jacobs. As a matter of fact, we had a nice three-hour discussion, the three of us, a uh, two-hour discussion in uh, Laughlin, Nevada, a couple of years ago about this very subject. And mm-hmm. they both agreed that it's a much higher percentage. Mm-hmm. But they're not going to go, you know, as I, as I was told, you know, they have reputations to uphold, which I understand, mm-hmm. you know. But I look at it like this. I'll say it's between 10 and 30 percent of the population, uh, and history can, t- you know, judge whether I was right or wrong, mm-hmm. you know, or the future can judge whether I'm right or wrong. And, and the thing about it is, though, being the amount of contactees that contact us, I'm having to think it's a much higher percentage yeah. than we originally realized. It's interesting. It'll be interesting then to see how, as that's grown, what the, how the dynamics have changed. Yeah. Because for one, one thing, when you look at the, you plug in the numbers from, uh, so the numbers I get are from the Roper poll, mm-hmm. which that's where I typically come out with about a percent of the population, based on just the people who've who've answered five positive, in um, you know the five positive indicator questions on the Roper poll, and that comes out to about less than a percent of the population. You know, now, I, but bear in mind that that's old data too. You know, but I, I asked contactees and people who had just had UFO sightings at all the conferences I've been to mm-hmm. on the radio show, none of them have ever taken the Roper poll. Yeah, it was a random sample. It, you know, and it, it was weird. Well, I mean, you know, 1.5 yeah. million people a week, and, and we haven't met anybody who's who's taken the Roper yeah, poll. Yeah, that's, that, that's just suspicious. To yeah, me. well, that's, you know, yeah, there are holes in that whole in that whole process. Well, that's the whole but, thing with polls. I mean, yeah, right. You know, you. If, if you walk into, like, New York City and you take a sample of 1,000 people in downtown New York, you, mm-hmm. you're liable to get a much different answer than if you go out to, mm-hmm. you know, rural Maine and, and interview 1,000 people. Right, it, yeah. It's, it's just it's yeah. the way it works. And I mean, it's unfortunate, but mm-hmm. they, they do serve a purpose. Yeah. And the Roper poll does show that this is becoming more, I guess, mainstream. I was going to say popular, but that's a bad word. But yeah. It does seem to be becoming more mainstream. But I've been lucky because, you know, we've hooked up with uh, two abduction organizations in Australia now and one in New Zealand, mm-hmm. uh, which have been a wealth of, of information. And, and basically, along with Yvonne Smith and a few others in the United States, they're confirming what we already knew. There's, there's slight differences in the overall information, but the gist of what we're talking about is being confirmed by all these other researchers. Um, as a matter of fact, Mary Rodwell, Yvonne Smith, and even Daryl Sims to an extent, uh, their research is almost identical to ours in what sense in what sense is in the fact that what type of the, what the aliens are doing to different contactees uh what we think the agendas are, are running along you know the lines of the agendas that are running you know all of these things seem to have a common tie okay. uh when we when we get into specifically you know age groups you know like all of us agree that in the age from age puberty to about age 28 most of the bad and nasty experiments happen in those years, whether it's a reptilian, a human, a gray, or a light being, yeah. that tends to be when the really nasty stuff happens. And we've all seen changes in different age periods for contactees and different participation levels and things along yeah. those lines. You know, this isn't like, you know, in the days when they said, oh, Betty and Barney Hill was a contactee. This is a much different era with a lot more research and a lot more contactees available. Yeah, right. And, so it makes a big difference in, in where this is going. And, but, of course, you know as well as I do, Craig, you can't believe everybody that tells you that they're yeah. contacting yeah. Uh, um, it. Inter- it's real interesting. My, my biggest point of fascination right now is with how the dynamics of the phenomenon are actually changing. 
and I don't I don't have a, a real clear picture of this, but it's something I've been really interested in is as the phenomenon expands, how is it changing? Is it as focused on individual experiencers? As or is the dynamics with each individual experiencer the same as they were, say, 20, 30 years ago? Or is it kind of a, in a new phase right now and they're doing something different? And uh, if they are indeed expanding out into a, into a, like a quarter of the population, which is kind of the numbers I'm hearing from you right now, is that, are, is this kind of this grassroots emergence that you begin, that uh, I talk about in Bridge? That's, you know, so anyway, that's, that's some real interesting questions, and I don't know the answer to them, so. No, that, well, that's the thing. I mean, it, it, there's a lot of speculation to what's going on here and, yeah. and, and what the aliens are doing. I will tell you this. We've noticed a couple of things that, one, a lot of things stay the same with whatever group you're talking about. Even though there seems to be different, different they do changes. I mean, it's like missing time. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first got involved in this 25 years, years ago, missing time was a prominent thing mm-hmm. in alien contact. Mm-hmm. 25 years later, it's not. Matter of fact, it's rarely heard of in cases today. You know, really? most, most of the people we talk to don't have missing time. Usually it's something like, um, you know, they'll have gained 10 or 15 minutes or something will be out of sync, but they're not losing whole days and stuff. Even though we do still get the occasional contactee that comes back with like three weeks' worth of hair on their legs uh, when, and yeah. when they went to bed, they had freshly shaven legs. Now, I've gotten a lot of, I've gotten a lot of missing time cases. See, we just, we just don't hardly see them anymore. But okay. most, most of the ones we see now, and we noticed this in about uh, 94, 95. It's one of the things we use to help judge um, some of the newer cases. And, and yeah. some of, well, because we found that uh, the aliens aren't dumb. Yeah, they know, right. They know if there's missing time, it's obvious to the contact either yeah, something right. went on. Now, are you saying that missing time events are not happening now, or... That uh, people, that people, you know, abductees have not had them. Well, it's not that they don't have missing time. It just doesn't seem to be the, the prominent thing in the yeah, right, okay. anymore. Yeah, uh, right. Okay. For us, we find that there's a lot more weirder stuff going on with time than missing time. That yeah, right. To be gain time or even time. You know, a lot of examples are you know a person will have left for work at uh, ten minutes to ten in the morning, mm-hmm. and uh, they'll arrive at work at five minutes to ten in the morning, even yeah. though it's a half-hour drive. Right, yeah. You know, and there's, there's no accounting for those kind of things. Um, yeah, what so we noticed negative was five it, minutes to get to work. Yeah, okay. we noticed somewhere <laughs> along the line in the mid-90s that E.T. in general changed the way they handled contactees as, as far as time went. Some of the older cases, or even some of the cases where people are, are aware of what's happening to them, we still see missing time. But mm-hmm. a lot of the cases where they're not... Um, we're not we're not seeing it anymore. It's yeah. just not it's not part of what's going on. It seems like, especially in the Gray's case, they seem to have adjusted this quite well and quite quickly. Yeah. Well, you can imagine the technology their technology advances just like ours does. Oh well, yeah, sort of, and, and it does. Oh, and that's the thing. And, but I think with them, you know, it was easy for a long time to explain away missing time. Yeah. You know, they felt like it was an easy way for the, the contactee to deal with it. But mm-hmm. once missing time became a, a finite part of ufology, then that changed. Then that became a prerequisite to being a contactee was missing time. Well, you mm-hmm. know, the aliens aren't stupid. They're picking up these people. They're realizing this as they're picking them up. So 
they just change it to, and that's pretty much what they did. And see now, so now when I get cases with new cases with missing time, I'm very skeptical. Um, it's not that I don't think they're a contactee because it, they could be, but I'm, I'm more skeptical than I would have been, say, 20 years ago when okay. somebody yeah, right. who came to me with missing time. Yeah. Um, because I got to say, most of the cases we get aren't missing time related. They're they're a different style. Of, it, it's hard to put it into words, but basically, yeah. most of them realize that. You know, through a course of a day, they may have gained an hour or two hours, or mm -hmm. it's like uh, the day was restarted for them or something. It, yeah. It's hard to explain, but it's not like yeah. missing time. And um, I, I've heard uh, more than one person say that when the grays appear, time gets screwed up. Well, they have, they have the ability to, like, sidestep time might be a, a, a better way yeah, to Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, they, they, it's not so much that they're time traveling. At least that's not what I'm getting. It's, it's like they can pull you out at that moment and um, maybe five or ten minutes passed in your time but where you were with them a whole day could have sure. passed and they're just putting you back you know sure. you know, either five minutes earlier five minutes later and, and as far as your mind's concerned well no I mean I'm only been gone <laughs> ten minutes even though I've seen these aliens for 24 hours I've only been gone ten minutes mm -hmm. and it, I think they did that partly because of the researchers and partly because of the family members uh, people who are not contactees. I think it made it easier to deal with this subject matter because if you're somebody's husband or wife and you know your husband's been missing for five hours, well, you've got something to think about. But if as far as you're concerned they were gone five minutes, well, you're not even going to think about that. Okay. You're just going to yeah. go on with your married life like nothing was going on there. And, and I do think they had done it for a couple of reasons. I don't think it was just for one reason. But and I, you know, I noticed when I was talking with Yvonne about this and Mary about this, they both, you know, are getting cases like this. Daryl is getting cases like this. Um, a lot of the researchers are, are picking up these kind of cases, it, even though missing time is still there. It just mm -hmm. doesn't seem to be, you know, where it was, like, yeah. say, 20 years ago. Well, where, you, where we don't see missing time much anymore is in the bedroom intrusions. Yeah, you know. Because that's, you know, it's pretty, pretty hard to gauge time to begin with there. But the uh, but the bed you know but the bedroom intrusions are pretty much you know pretty much transparent as far as that's concerned pretty much invisible to the outside world. Well, yeah, they they seem to be. Even though I've had a couple of contactees that have had limited luck with like um, powdering the floor and powdering yeah. the bed, and I mean limited. They'll they'll be prints. I I couldn't tell you they were alien or not. Right. Know, yeah. They're, they're not conclusive by any means. Right. But you know, and if the room wasn't being filmed, you can't rule out a hoax I, or, or someone, you know, not What I've on. suggested to a couple of people is to put it like a dish towel down under the rug, under like a throw rug, and then put a piece of aluminum foil down and then put the rug down over it. Yeah, I know a couple of people have tried things along those lines. I know um, uh, two ladies that actually got these gel things and put them under their rugs. They got, you know, like throw rugs next to their bed. Mm -hmm. And they had actually put them on there, and they had limited success with them. But yeah. like I said, if it's not being documented, it's hard to say. Mm -hmm. You know, if there's no camera on it, or if there's no um, right, yeah. You know, because then you're at, at at faith. You're taking that person's word. Which, mm -hmm. granted, you know, there's a lot of people I can take at their word, but it's hard to use that as evidence. <laughs> yeah, well, it's kind of anecdotal evidence mm -hmm. in a way. It uh, it's evidence for you. Yeah. You, the experiencer, but, it's, you know, it's not going to, you know, they're not going to, you're not going to end up publishing that in a peer-reviewed scientific journal, no, but it does 
give you a sense that yeah, this isn't just a dream. Yeah, it's, it's 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 kind of a shame that it's hard to get good clear evidence on mm -hmm. this. You know, for me, most of what I consider to be tangible evidence now is just corroboration by other contactees. Yeah, right. And um, because we have enough of it now that it can be used as evidence. Sure. You know, in the old days, having it's why I tried to explain this to David Jacobs. He said, well, I got 100 cases. I said, well, that's damn good. And I said, um, that's some pretty solid evidence. I mm -hmm. said, but we, you know, we have a couple of thousand cases. Mm -hmm. And I said, when you start linking them all together, it, it, it makes almost irrefutable yeah. evidence. Because you can't have, you know, I'll use like Miss um, Hansen in New Zealand and John over in Australia. And then um, we'll, use, um, well, we'll use Joyce in the United States. You know, here you have three contactees from three different parts of the world and three different age groups that are having almost parallel experiences, and none yeah. of this has been published. So you, you have now, granted, when we're through with this book, this will change things quite a bit because we're going to put a lot of information in it that was probably not readily available mm -hmm. before without doing some hardcore research. Mm -hmm. But um, the thing of it is, is these cases, you know, there's, there's just no way for them to have known this information. And when they start telling me, you know, about specific type tables and specific, specific type instruments and experiments. You know, it, it gets to the point where there's no way this had to have happened. I mean, yeah. there was physical things going on. These people are physically aware of this, and there's no way around this. I mean, there's just not. And, and it's not that hard to prove that these people didn't know each other or did not have prior contact with each other. Um, and if you take cases that I worked on in the early 80s and cases that I'm working on in 2008, you're seeing similarities in these cases that you got to kind of stop and wonder what Yeah, the right. You know, this is an ongoing yeah. project that doesn't seem to slow down, and it doesn't seem... It changed... You know, what's funny about it, Craig, is it seems to change completely every decade or so, but yet, in the same aspect, it seems to stay the same. Yeah. You know, it's like they, they handle the humans in a particular way, even though the experiments and the methods may change. Yeah. The way they're handling the humans still, though, is pretty much the same. It's very similar to, I, use, I call it the National Park or National Nature Preserve analogy, mm -hmm. where, you know, it's like rangers handling wolves or something like that. The, the ongoing research, the ongoing wildlife management pretty much remains the same from decade to decade. The technology may change, maybe some of the methodology may change, but Ultimately, the actual process doesn't change too much. Yeah, and that's actually a good analogy. Yeah. Well, it's the same one we use for, you know, when people say, well, why are the aliens doing that? And I said, well, why do we go abduct the wolf or the mm -hmm. bear? And I'm thinking, you know, and I've said this a hundred times and I've said it publicly. I'm like, well, what, are you, what, is the, what is the bear thinking when you come flying down in your helicopter, yeah, yard, right. your butt, hang him upside down? Mm -hmm. You know, probe him up, and, and, and I mean, what is this bear thinking? I mean, he's <laughs> you're, you're not another polar bear, so he's got issues here. Yeah, know? right. Yeah. And I'm, um, you know, it's <laughs> it, it's hard to make humans understand. And when you use that analogy, they're kind of like, well, you know, that that's true. We do that. Yeah. We are the most advanced species. At least we think we're the most advanced species on our planet. And, yeah. You know, so we're thinking that. So now it gives them something to think about. Well, if mm -hmm. we're doing it to our own animals. Why wouldn't an alien race more advanced than us come do it to us? Mm -hmm. Now, the only downside to that analogy is, is why are they still doing it, you know, 10 or 6 or 10,000 years later? That, well, don't we know enough question. about wolves now? I mean, it's like, why do well, we have no, to keep abducting wolves? I, mean, like, I, I agree with that, but after 1,000 years, I think we would. After 10,000 years, I would think there wouldn't even be anything else to possibly learn. 
But uh, so for us, we know that this is a little more than just learning yeah. about it. Well, any any air, air, there are limitations to any metaphor. Yeah, that's I true. like Oppenheimer. Robert Oppenheimer has a quote once that says that the most in, an analogy is most interesting at the point where it begins to break down. That's a good point. Too. Yeah, so, so it's always real interesting when you get right to the edge of where these things apply. And oh, man, when you get into contactees, it seems to get very, very messy. Very. I'm, I'm always. I'm. It's so humbling to work with these. Work. Do this work because you. Uh, Anytime you start thinking that you know something, it's like I always, the way I always put it, God has a sense of humor. It's like the next case will just blow what you thought you knew out of the water. You, you know, that was what was so weird for me, Craig, when I first started doing this 20 years ago. About, I'd say once a year, somebody would blow my mind. Mm -hmm. After about 10 years, I started realizing that, oh, wait, these people are saying the same things. Mm -hmm. You know, and here we are 25 years later, and I'm like, oh, yeah, there seems to be all kind yeah. of wonderful, lovely connections and things running into each other and all kind of interesting things manifesting. Well, question, uh, question I have for you. Do you guys get as many of the outlier cases, kind of the, you know, the very, very different type of encounters? <sighs> That uh, I would say, because I get a lot of those. I get, hmm. see, for me, this is, this is where it becomes very tricky, because I get a lot of cases, um, I would say half the reports we get are not what we would consider to be the norm. Yeah, right. Contact us. I call that the What I call that is, I call that sort of the standard model, if you will. And then, and then if, if you took that half, and you really get down to the really nitty-gritty, and you get rid of all the people who are, you know, seeing things or... Trying to hoax, I'd say probably 10% of that 50% are actually real. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is nobody knows why they're so much different than everything else that's going on. Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. I, you know, I got a case I've been working on for about 12 years. It's two brothers. One of the brothers, these are Nordak aliens, I guess if you want to call them, since we're going to put names on them, but for the human-type aliens, one of the brothers tells me uh, that it, it is the most exhilarating, enlightening experience he has ever had, mm -hmm. ever. He said it, it, it is typical. I mean, it's new age to the hill, peace, love, and light. But his brother, which is being abducted by the same alien, says it is the most horrific experience he has mm -hmm. ever experienced in his life. Mm -hmm. And when you get him to talk about it, the one brother is describing the events that the other brother is just totally freaked out about because it's, it's a total different set of events. Mm -hmm. they're, it's, they're running two different experiments here. Now, the brothers over the years have realized that they're being played. Mm -hmm. You know, that there are two different types of experiments being run, and one of brothers experiencing this type of contact, and the yeah. other one is experiencing this. Yeah. And over the years, since they've learned to talk about it, they said that recently, uh, within the last four or five years, they give me credit for it, which I don't, shouldn't get credit, it's what they did themselves, um, is that they started talking about it. Now that they've just been discussing the last four or five years, the, the, the contacts are becoming closer to the same. Yeah, uh, right. It's almost merged into the same type of contact mm -hmm. where there's a lot of good stuff going on, but there's still some bad stuff going yeah. on. And um, it, yeah. it's been interesting to watch that. But initially, the contacts were extremely different. Yeah. And uh, I could never, you know, and when I was listening to the one brother, and they're like, I think, a year apart. They're not twins, but yeah. they're about a year apart. The younger brother is having the bad experiences, and it's a classic, you know, the breeding age experience. It's just classic. So, you know, there was no real problem with him. And then we knew the other brother was a contactee simply because he was the brother. 
Mm -hmm. So we couldn't understand, you know, why he was being told this. Mm -hmm. And over the years, I had met some, you know, I'd have to say, I, I, I don't, you know, this is, guys, don't don't hold me to this, okay, because this is just a rough estimate, but probably 12%, maybe 10% of the contact experiences we get are what I would call the peace, love, and light type. Yeah, right. And uh, probably 15 or 20% of the ones we get are what I would call, you know, the, the breeding age experiments, and then you got all the stuff in between, which yeah. is a lot of stuff. But right. Um, no one can understand why you have the same group of aliens with this 10% having this outstanding contact experience, but yet, you know, other people being yeah. experiencing these aliens are having such horrific times with them, and no one can understand that. What I, what I frequently see is the same experiencer will have different types of events throughout their lives, yes, too. Yes, they will. Because, you know, I've had, uh, there's one guy that I worked with quite a, quite a few years ago now, but he had... A lot of classic gray experiences, and then for a while he got these really new agey experiences. Kind of the you know the Pleiadian space brothers would appear to him and things like that. And then another guy, you know, classic gray, classic you know abduction experiences. And then one night he was staying with a fr staying at a friend's house. He was like you know he and several friends were bivying on the on the guy's living room floor, and. Uh, that night, he described like a ten tentacle, you know, creature from Andromeda came through the mirror. See, that, that you gotta, you always gotta wonder. <laughs> well, I mean, I took him into trance, and I mean, I, you know, I had, uh, I had him, you know, a lot of times what I do, I have people, you know, you gotta be real careful about how deeply you probe with these, of mm -hmm. course. But when I asked him to look, you know, asked him, you know, what it, what you see, you know, I took him into trance and asked him, you know, what do you see? A lot of times when you're when the person is in trance, a screen memory will just kind of dissolve, and they'll see the small gray coming through the wall or whatever. Yeah. Uh, this uh, one, it was still a ten tentacled critter from Andromeda. Yeah, I mean, it didn't change. And he had he had described you know small grays, you know the whole the whole history of these things, and yet this one was a ten tentacled monster from Andromeda. Yeah. I, I can help you out with that, but you're probably not going to like that. <laughs> I tell you what we did um, about a decade ago. You know, you always hear about the praying mantis. You remember the praying mantis? Yeah, right, yeah. yeah. Well, we kept hearing about these praying mantis, and I kept thinking to myself, just something just doesn't sound right about this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, these things were very scary, very fierce, very... So I started programming contactees that when they were being abducted by the reptilians in the Nordax to pay attention to them. So come to find out, after about four or five years of doing this, um, come to find out, they said, you know, these things always seem to be off in a distance or in a corner or in this black, dark area of the ship. And uh, one of the contactees got brave enough to walk up to it. They swear that this is nothing more than a puppet. Oh, interesting. Okay. And they said that it is strictly used for fear and control, but it's not actually a sentient being. So, okay, interesting. Well, when I heard that, I'm thinking, nah, that doesn't explain all the other cases I've heard. And, and mm -hmm. So I started asking more and more contactees, and we realized that, that he was probably right in the fact that it is some type of puppet. Mm. Uh, but they weren't, the way they were using it was empathically, or mm. I should say telepathically. Okay, yeah. And... Um, you know, the combination, the, the, the telepathy and the actual thing standing there was enough to keep most yeah. of the contactees in check. I imagine when yeah. this contactee walked up and touched it, they must have flipped. But. Yeah, but the, you <laughs> know, 
frequently mantis. I've only had a couple of cases where people have seen these mantis type characters. Mm-hmm. And, and really, I have only two, probably a dozen, to be honest with you. Yeah. And that'd be about right for you know, because you've got about an order of magnitude more cases in your file than I have. Yeah, and that, that it makes sense. And you know, when I when I heard him talking about this, you know, it's it's hard to grasp some of this stuff, correct? Because we mm-hmm. know that, especially the grays, um, their telepathic abilities are so far beyond mm-hmm. what we can understand that it's mm-hmm. easy for them, you know, to image something in our head and us take it as a reality. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of why. Sometimes you get these crazy abduction cases because yeah. I really think it's the gray or the reptilian or the human putting something in there that will throw off the contactee and the Yeah, I just thought about that. Uh, some, you know, there are some things that, that you know that I've seen in my case files that you know I tend to question that a little bit, but yeah. you know, I'm, I'm pretty much open just about any any potential explanation. Here, well, you, well, you kind of have to be yeah, really with this. I mean, it, it, there's no. You know, there's no, there's no Bible or no code yeah. to this. You know, we're all learning as we go. And but the, but then another, another real interesting one where uh, an experiencer was, basically she was abducted out of her car, kind of a, uh, and she was taken aboard a craft, and instead of a classic gray kind of realm, she ended up, these characters who were, you know, they're human, humanoid or whatever, Dressed in kind of 1940s style World War II-ish type of military uniforms, and they went through this whole song and dance about how they were in a war with another group, and there was this, uh, there was you know, and that she was somehow involved in this, and you know, so the whole there was this whole panoply that developed in this, and it's so you know, it's again, it's one of those outliers. I don't know how to explain it. And we went through that in trance about two or three different times. And it was a very stable scenario. It wasn't, you know, I didn't get the sense that there was a lot of creativity going on or anything like that. But there was this uh, sense of of this kind of this World War II-ish type scenario. I just put that in my Go Figure file. Well, actually, that's not the first time that I've heard that. No. Uh, well, the old men in black descriptions were yeah. a lot like that. Yeah. And uh, which is interesting that that's hello that that's changed over the years too. That that, that I call them men in gray now with white yeah. SUVs, but that even that seemed to change over the years. Mm-hmm. You know, but how it kind of just shifted. And I guess maybe that's. But you know, there's a lot of contactees that seems to think there's a rogue group of grays that work with a hybrid group. They said they broke off from the main grays about um, probably 100 years ago, something okay. 500 years. I, I have no idea. Um, but I've heard enough contactees talk about this group to, to kind of think that there might be some, you know, reality there. Uh, they say that they work with a hybrid group, uh, that the grays took this particular hybrid group, and they say that the hybrids are the ones that are the men in gray or the men in black, whatever you want to call them. Yeah. Um, they, and, and you know what? Some of the descriptions I've heard described do sound a lot like hybrids. Okay. They, yeah, they don't look right. quite human. They don't act quite human. Yeah. You know. And, and we've they, we've got a couple of cases. I call them human aliens. Yeah. And and you know that that falls into the definitely into the hybrid. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, if you got questions, put your hands up. But um, the thing of it is, is it, to me, it falls into the hybrid category. And when you start talking about a rogue group of grays, which 
we had got some contactees, uh, some great contactees, I should say, to ask the Grace if, if there was such a thing. And mm-hmm. I'll, I'll put it this way: they never denied it. They never confirmed it either. Mm-hmm. But they never denied it. They they never, you know, turned around and said no or don't ask that or yeah. Anything Do you along. believe the answer that you get? I believe to an extent. Yeah. Because I, I do know the aliens a lot. Yeah. But, and it has a lot to do with how the question's asked. If this was a pre cloud question, if this was a pre-programmed question into the person's subconscious, and at the moment of contact the question was asked, the more than likely the answer is true, because the gray probably answered it without thinking about it. Oh, interesting. If, i got to remember if, that one. If cool. It's a, if it's a question asked, you know, after the contact has started and they've been there a while and the gray's mm-hmm. been scanning you a while or the reptilian or mm-hmm. human, then I, I'm a lot less likely to take that as gospel yeah. because, you know, he has scanned and he is aware of what you're thinking and it's mm-hmm. a lot harder. But it's one of the first things we teach contactees. Look, when you think about what you want to know, program it into your head every night before you go to bed, program the question. I said, because when the gray or the reptilian human grabs you, when your eyes open for the first time and see them and you notice them, the first thing you're going to do is be in that question in their head and the first thing they're going to do is answer you because that's the way they communicate. And, you know, majority of the time, if it's done that way, then yes, it's more than likely you're getting fairly good data. Interesting. Uh, i got to remember that one. It, it, it makes it a little, it makes it, it, it gives it a little bit more credibility. It's not to say, you know, they haven't figured out how to, to lie it, even when then, but it seems like it would be a lot harder. Yeah. Especially, you know, the way I understand that these particular races communicate, it would seem yeah. like, you know, when a question's beamed straight into their head, then more than likely they're just reflexing it. So basically, you know, one way of doing that, I don't know if this is the way you guys do it or not, but you trigger, you know, you can set up a hypnotic trigger mm-hmm. so, that when the per- so that when the person sees, like, the big black eyes, you know, basically it's a hypnotic cue to fire off the question. Yeah, and it's pretty much, it's, you know, that's a close to what we're analogy to what we're doing. I mean, yeah. it depends who's handling who and what cases it are right, or yeah. how advanced a particular right. contactee is. But, sure. Uh, <clears throat> it works. And it's cleared up a lot of stuff for me over the years. I've got to be honest about it. That we, one. I'll have to... We've used it because, you know, like, like I was telling you a couple of weeks ago when you were on about that color blue, everybody kept telling us about this color blue. Some people described it as a light, some as a liquid, some as a mass, some as like a gel, you know, and it was driving me crazy. I'm like, wait, everybody's seeing this weird color blue, but they're all giving me different explanations. Mm-hmm. And when we finally started programming contactees to find out what it was, and we found that it was this blue plasma stuff, and when we started going back and talking to the other contactees about it, they were like, that's what it is. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. As soon as you told them, they're like, whoa, that's what it is. Matter mm-hmm. of fact, I was talking with, um, I think it was Elaine Douglas, no, mm-hmm. not Elaine Douglas. Yeah, Elaine Douglas, yeah. No, it was uh, Katerina Wilson. Oh, Katerina, okay, all right. Yeah, I was talking with Katerina, and she was telling me about this weird blue light, and I got to tell her about this plasma, and she's like, well, wait, I think that's what it was. Okay. <laughs> you know, and it's... it's now, it's, they're, you know, they're not in trance when you're saying that. They're, they're actually, this is like on, you know... You yeah, know, they're state just... Of state of yeah, we're just sitting there talking, and... Okay. Uh, you know, because, you know, when I when I find out information like this, I try to get it out to the different contacts sure. that we work with. Or sure. you know, if they can come here to show or something, they'll pick up on it. But it's so that, you know, it, it's something that, it, for us, it's kind of like intrude the picture on intruders. Sure, know? yeah. How many faces, how many people got set off by that face? Well, this is the same thing. Yeah. When they hear us actually talking about the blue plasma, and I can't tell you, every show I've ever discussed this, and I will get emails tonight about it, um, every show I've ever discussed this on, I get emails. I'm like, you know, that's what it was. Yeah. At first, I thought it was this or that or this, and I, I haven't had any. I haven't had any descriptions of those. 
Yeah, most of the time, to be honest with you, it's described as a blue bathing light, uh, a blue, this, this weird blue inside of blue. But a lot of times, if you just ask contactee, have you seen the color blue, they will just go off. Is this the ambient light in the area? or No, this is actually the, the, the plasma itself is, a, is a, I guess, the most closely earthly color I could give is a cobalt blue. Uh, everybody and where tells, where is this where does this occur? It's on the ships uh, and it's something they immerse you in. Oh, okay, okay. They they actually immerse the whole but they use it from what I understand, they use it for a lot of things. Now here's something that was very interesting. I don't even I shouldn't even tell you this, but you know, grays aren't gray, right? And grays have a tendency to have shades of color to them. Mm-hmm. Well we found out that the grays use the blue plasma as a food source. They like you soak it up through their skin. So sometimes the gray will be a much bluer gray than he is gray. Sometimes he'll be more translucent in appearance where if they haven't fed for a while, they, their veins almost become clear. Okay. So what happens is, is you've actually got four or five shades of your typical gray. Uh, there'll be like a, like a dark, almost uh, smoke gray, and then to a blue gray, and then to a, a, like a, a silver gray, and then almost into this weird, almost like white laid over gray color. Yeah, and uh, you know, it took us a while, but we realized it's, it's when they feed, they change colors. And this is okay. this is the three foot and the and the five foot grays. Now, once you get above that, I have no idea what the other ones are doing. But yeah, right. From the contact we've had, we understand that this is just you know one of the things they do. And it was weird because what I was doing, I was working with particular groups of contactees, and that what they were doing was is they would tell me about their three aliens. You know, they're the mm-hmm. one gray that always watches them, and the two that are usually with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's interesting about that, too, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this, is a lot of contactees will experience their gray as an Indian god. As an Indian god? I- Indian god, yeah, like a, you know, a god, an Indian, uh, 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 I guess a brave comes to help you along okay, or something. Yeah. Um, but it's really, really weird, and, and I notice when you get through that, you know, it always, almost always turns into a gray, which is just freaky weird. But, um, but you yeah. know, because of little things like these, we've learned, you know, that, yeah, the grays do absorb this food through their skin. Uh, it's the same things they're using on humans. They say they, they say the stuff is self-replicating, and they use it for a fuel supply as well. Okay. So, you know, it's an interesting uh, part of what goes on in the gray ship. And you get this more, you know, the young contactees will tell you about this weird blue color, but they really can't give you much more than that. When you get into the older contactees, especially into what I like to call the keepers, mm-hmm. uh, you tend to get a lot more information from them, and you get, tend to get a lot of cooperating um, you know, and when we really started introducing these theories about this blue plasma to the different contactees, we just started getting tons of feedback. Yeah, right. You know, they were like, well, well yeah. yeah, that makes sense. And, and yeah. you know, and yes, they do tend to, to have different colors. And, yeah. You know, and of course, your typical standard Hollywood gray probably isn't the closest comparison to a gray, but yeah. I Why guess I, close let me have totally different band. Uh, have you had any cases where people have picked up, you know, have had a GPS and gotten GPS traces during an abduction? I've had them, well, I've had them where they, they've had GPS with them. Yeah. And I've even had some where the GPS pinged like 5,000 feet in the air and stuff like that. One guy even had one that said um, they were traveling at like 5,000 miles an hour or mm-hmm. something. But, you know... I don't know what to do with those because, yeah, I could say he had the GPS with him when he was picked up. Mm-hmm. It's quite possible. But then I can also say that it was a fluke in the electronics. <laughs> yeah, right. 
You know, so it, it's a tough one. I, I, it's not beyond being heard of before. I, yeah. I've even had GPS freak out on me before. So Yeah, but I've, you know, I've had several different cases now where I've heard of where people have uh, described GPS cases where people have, uh, you know, up one guy that I, uh, one case I've been working on, he has about two or three cases now where, where he has had, during a missing time experience, and he you know, he was in his boat and he showed you know he found himself suddenly after about an hour and a half two hours he was in a different spot it was a spot you would never go in your boat you know it was like stumps you know stumps coming up out of the water things like that a very non-wonderful place to be in a fishing boat and all of a sudden he found himself there and about two hours had elapsed and he also, and his GPS showed that he had traveled quite some distance, and uh, you know, in a kind of an arc shape. So, and so it was really interesting that way. Yeah, it's it's, it's they do help, um, and GPS is a great thing actually. Yeah. Uh, you know, now a lot of the cars they have them built in and things like that, but. Mm-hmm. That brings us back to the cases. What got me started in the golf breeze was uh, we kept having people. They'd call me and say, Joe, I got sand in my car. You know, they're in New Orleans. I'm like, what do you mean you got sand in your car? I got sand in my car. I'm like, so? And they're like, no, beach sand, Joe. I was, I got beach sand in my car. How did beach? And then they'll say, you know, and my trip meter says 400, you know, 400 miles. I'm like, what do you mean it says 400 miles? You got sand. So as far as I know, I was in bed last night. Well. Mm-hmm. You know, so we started having everybody trip their trips back to zero, you know, write down their mileages before they go to bed, check their gas, things like that. Well, what always bothered me about this is, is yes, you'd get up and the car would have 300 miles on it that morning, and there would be dirt or sand in the car. So these people were definitely going places. But yet the gas meter in the car was the same. Mm-hmm. So... You know, and there was no charges on the credit cards or anything. So what the hell was going on here? I mean, yeah. somehow or another, this car was driving, you know, like from New Orleans to Pensacola, Florida. They were spending the nights down there, apparently on the beach, and coming back, but not using any fuel. Right. You know, yeah, we knew that technology. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm kind of got to wonder what the hell is going on there. Yeah, I mean, right. You know, I mean, that didn't make any sense to me unless, yeah. unless there was something controlling you. But then it never made sense to me why they had him driving down to Pensacola. Yeah, but right. you know what, Craig? This is still going on down there. You can still go right now. Any night of the week, there's a section of beach down there that stretches from Santa Rosa Island to the Eglin Air Force Base in Navarre Beach, Florida. You can go camp on that beach any given night. I guarantee you, you will see an abduction. Guarantee. If you're brave enough to go spend a night out there, you'll see an abduction. Um, they have been, we used to go out there and cat, and go out at midnight, go down and get every car that was parked and everything, write down their license number and the description of their car, and we would patrol the highway till 6 in the morning. Mm-hmm. Well, come about 1, you know, the cars that were left, you would see nobody in, okay, mm-hmm. nobody. So we'd take the little infrared camera out and a 2 million candle Q-beam and walk on the beach, you know, walk about a mile each direction, see if we could see anybody, no one to be seen, do that at every location. <coughs> Document this all night long. Come about 5.30 in the morning, just before sunbreak, sunrise. Um, all of a sudden, you'd see people stretching around in their cars and stuff like they had just woke up. Mm-hmm. Now, we documented this. For, we went down there for three years in a row and documented this. Um, we, had, we had stumbled across it by accident about, what was this, 2008, so 
about 20 years ago, we'd actually stumbled in this, uh, well, about 1990, about 18 years ago, mm-hmm. we'd stumbled upon this by accident. And uh, we documented we documented three years in a row, and every time we go down there, we document it again. And not only have we seen aliens down there, we have had people with us on at least seven other occasions that have seen them while they were there with us. I can tell you at least a hundred people that I've sent down there that have had some kind of wild experience. It's just this particular section. And, well, what we started doing after we had did the car thing is we, we started checking with people who were contactees if they'd ever been to Pensacola. Mm-hmm. Come to find out that they have people who go down there and spend like seven days and have like two days of memories and photos. Mm, okay. No one even seen them for a week. I mean, these people okay. just disappear. And it's... As far as the person was concerned, they were on vacation. There was no real other memories. But when you started asking them questions, well, where's your credit card receipts or your did you, did you eat? Do you yeah, have right. receipts for food or for gas or, you know? And if you checked with the hotel, it would be like to show them the day they came in and the day they were leaving, but you wouldn't find them on a the camera any other day. Right. You know, so you, you know what was going on. And this come to find out is a common thing that goes on down there. Okay. I, I would. This is. I would venture to say that a full third to even maybe fifty percent of the people that go to this particular area on a regular basis are contactees. Are like peep, the peer, do people seem drawn to that area? Oh yeah, they're drawn to it, and they're drawn okay. to it in a major way. Uh, and and okay. a, I mean, in a major way. And it's there's five locations I know of in the United States like this where okay. people are drawn to it. There's also only one place I know of where there has never been any contact. And every contact here I brought there said that that's the only place they felt like they could break their psychic yeah. connection. You were going to tell me at one point offline what that was. Oh, I have to. I have to tell you, it's it's in the South now. Recently, it's been brought to my attention by some fellow researchers of mine that there may be another one of these zones up north, <laughs> and they're checking into it for me. But the only way to confirm it is to bring enough contactees through it to find out if sure. they lose contact and if they're staying there for any length of time. Did they have any contact? In this particular location, we know. Um, we interviewed people down there. No one, you know, they've seen a lot of UFOs because there's a deep water channel yeah, right, right there. But they've never had any contacts down right. there. And everyone down there, oh, if I told you that, Eve, I'd have to shoot you. Yeah, right. But, uh, but I, sorry, I'm real interested in that. I, well, I, well, remind me. Well, you know what? we got to go to break in about, okay. about a minute. So when we go to break, I'll tell you where it's at. Okay. And, the, uh, uh, I'm real interested in... At some point, I'm interested in setting up a, what, I, what I call the contact center, kind of an, a sanctuary mm-hmm. and a healing place for contactees. Well, this would be the place to put it. Yeah, really. Well, it's funny, too, because I had one contactee that was in Texas that had been having some really bad, bad, uh, a bad, bad time, and she just couldn't get it out of her head. She couldn't break the link, and it just wouldn't go away. So I grabbed her one night and said, come on, we're going to go take a ride, get in the car. And me and her and my wife got in the car and took a ride, and as soon as we got to this spot, she instantly felt better. Instantly. Okay. I mean, it was like the whole the whole weight of the world had been lifted off her shoulders, and she just felt free. And I can tell you that uh, I brought up one group I did an, an experiment with that was, I didn't tell them I was doing, but there's a bunch of my iCard members had come down to New Orleans to visit. There was about 10 of them, and uh, I think seven of them were contactees. Loaded them all into a truck one night and, and took them on a, a adventure. And... Uh, I noticed when we got to this spot, they all just felt real relaxed and comfortable. And okay. It was probably the first time in their life they had, ex- they had experienced life without that, that contact. Because, you know, I know people don't understand this, or they can't understand this, but the grays especially, 
they're never out of contact with their contactees. Yeah, right. They're always touching their mind. And, right. You know, for contactees, it becomes a part of just everyday life until they don't experience it. And then they're like, whoa, what the hell? <laughs> you know, it's, it's and all of back the same way. It's just like, you know, they have their own mind back or something. It's, it's strange. Yeah. And I'd love to get like 100 of them or even just 10 of them and go down there and just question the hell out of them. <laughs> yeah, I am absolutely fascinated by that. Why is that the case? I don't Why know, are some areas hot zones, the other other areas are free or are safe zones? That's a good question, but you know what? We've got to go to break. Okay, so sounds good. Everybody, I want you to stay tuned to UFO Undercover. I'm your host, Joe Talda. I'm sitting and speaking with Craig Lane. Guys, the lines will be open when we come back from break, so if you want to call, you want to put your hand up in the virtual auditorium, feel free. Um, sit back, enjoy the music, and we'll be back in about eight minutes, guys. And meanwhile, go to thecosmicbridge.com. Yeah, get over there. Matter of <laughs> fact, go ahead and buy a book, people. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back. <laughs> Yeah, you got to get on these people, man. <laughs> I don't know if it's the economy or if they don't know what's going on yeah, with the a lot, president. A lot, or... a lot of people have told me book sales are real slow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've heard that from... Uh, from... everyone and welcome back to UFO Undercover. Like Natasha said, I am your host, Joe Montalvo. I'm sitting and speaking with Craig Arlane this evening. We've been uh, discussing quite a few things. Did y'all go buy a book? If y'all didn't, I'm kicking y'all off the servers. All right. <laughs> Get over there and buy a book, damn it, people. Support the man. He's got to make some money. He's, he's got bills. Trust me on this. Y'all can donate some to me if you want. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> we need a rich benefactor, Craig, is what we need. Uh, <laughs> no, I know. Huh? Um, case, I'm sorry, guys. Y'all missed half the good stuff was at the break we were just discussing. <laughs> oh, and I still didn't tell you at the break what we were talking about before the break. That was another break coming up at some point. Yeah, we, we, we got we got sidetracked anyway. Yeah. Uh, talking about some other stuff. But going back to what we were talking about at the break, I mean, you know, when we talk about these agendas, for me, as a researcher, I'd have to say that gray was the dominant species here. Now, there's a lot of argument about this. Some people seem to think it's the reptilian. Some seem to think it's the human-type alien. Now, I don't know. You know, I, it, it, it's a hard one. I mean, we can use ancient history, but the Sumerians say those, the Nordics came here and created a race, and then the reptilians interfered with that race and created us. So, I, I mean, I don't see any dominance. So they look like they're pretty much equal. Mm-hmm. And the greys, one of the things I find interesting is um, you will see a human alien with a gray. You may see a reptilian with a gray. You might see a military person with a gray. Mm-hmm. Every contactee tells me the same thing, whether they're a human contactee, a reptilian, or a gray. The other three always give way to the gray. Uh, it's like they will get out of their way. Whatever the gray is doing, they just don't mess with them. And I would think because the grays are technologically more advanced, but I think they're also uh, telepathically more advanced than the other two species. Because contactees, when they talk about the way the grays communicate, it's, it's almost a liquid form. It's just like it flows into you where uh, with the reptilians and the humans, it doesn't seem to be quite as, uh, or it doesn't flow quite as well. Mm-hmm. And they say that the reptilians even occasionally will take off into this weird language. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess they get frustrated or something. Yeah. And start cussing in clicks and beeps or something. I don't know. But uh, now... Yeah, that was weird, too. We got a couple of reports under hypnosis. These people were repeating what they said was an alien language. 
and it sounded like dolphin. That's the best thing I could describe it as, mm. as a dolphin language. So I got to thinking, because they kept saying it was a graze, and as far as I knew, the graze didn't communicate verbally. I mean, I had never heard it before. Mm-hmm. So I started doing some research, and we do know that graze ships have been seen over the water with dolphins underneath the ships. And I was wondering if maybe the human person may have mistaken uh, hearing the dolphins as you know, thinking that it was the Gray's language. Hmm, interesting. That's the first I'd heard of that. You know, now as far as the uh, the dolphin thing underneath the ships, we've we've especially down here in the south, there's been uh, probably more than a hundred cases reported where people said they'll see a UFO hovering over the water and there'll be a light coming down mm-hmm. in like a mist forming around the ship, and they said there'll be like eight or nine dolphins, sometimes more than that, looking up into the light. So interesting. Um, well, it would make sense to me, I mean, because if, if, they're, if they're here for intelligence, well, the dolphin's brain's bigger than us. Yeah, they're actually more intelligent in a way than we are. Yeah, they, they have more senses than we do. Uh, they, they think in some form they're telepathic because they can, uh, yeah. they have sonar so they can send signals back and forth. And they're saying that a dolphin should be able to send a sonar signal to another dolphin imaging what the signal is, you know, another right, bird, yeah. rock, fish, whatever. But, um, you know, they, they're, if you, if according to... Uh, what is that, the uh, Oceanography Center out in California, they have a larger language than we do. Yeah. You know, so they have a bigger brain, more senses, and a larger language. I would think The only difference between the, you know, is that they're not technological. Yeah, and as far Which as we is, know, they're an agrarian society. Yeah. You know, I mean, we, we're assuming because we have technology, we're the most intelligent species, mm-hmm. but, you know, that doesn't necessarily weigh true. Right. If they're an agrarian society and their brains are bigger and they use more of it, then yes, they're more intelligent than we are. Mm-hmm. And maybe intelligence does say, hey, live with the planet and not screw everything mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you know, regardless what it is, whether they're more intelligent or not, they, the greys do seem to have an interest in the dolphins. Maybe yeah. not as big as interest they have in humans, but... And that was something else, you know, I had made a point to a friend of mine when we were talking about dolphins. He's like, but Joe, they have no technology and they live in the ocean. I said, exactly. I said, they inhabit every... I said, they inhabit freshwater rivers, freshwater lakes, the ocean... I said, they live in three-quarters of the planet where we live on one-quarter of the planet. Yeah. I said, so who's more intelligent? I said, not only have they managed to be here for two and a half million years, 250 million years, but they've learned how to use the whole planet, whereas we're just using a small part of it. And I, you would, I said, you would think the most advanced race would live in the water, not on the land, because that's the largest part of the planet. Yeah. And he was like, well, that's a good point. He said, I don't like that point. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I bet you don't like that because you don't want to think we're dumber than dolphins. Nobody does, okay. you know. But, and I don't know if it's true or not, but, yeah. you know, they do seem to have a fascination with dolphins, which suggests yeah. there is a, a high level of, of intelligence there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, current science is starting to lean more and more that the dolphins are much more intelligent than we want to give them credit for. Yeah, right. Well, it's like, you know, right. they're, the only, they're the only species we know that befriended man. You know, everybody says, well, wolves. I said, no, wolves had to be tamed. Dolphins yeah. in the wild will come up to you, swim up to you, and they've been known to save people's lives. Yeah. I said, that's, that's something that goes, that shows intelligence. I mean, yeah. you know, that, that shows a wealth of intelligence. They chose, you know, and they know men are dangerous because men hunt dolphins, so they knew we were dangerous, but yet they still chose to come up and, and save them. My sense is that they could probably discern which ones are dangerous and which ones are not. I, I agree with that because, you know, I was down in Pensacola, Linda and I, and you'll be walking out there, and you can watch a dolphin they'll stay X amount of distance from the beach. But occasionally when people get in the water, 
they will actually come up and interact with the people. I've had them brush me a couple of times. They'll just run right up on the side of you. They don't hurt you anything, you know. But apparently they can tell, you mm-hmm. know, that these people coming into the water are safe, and, and they're just as curious as we are. You know, they're like, what are these big dinghies walking around in the water here? How come they don't have fins? <laughs> yeah, really. You know, they're interested in, in us, so they swim up and they check us out. And, you know, a lot of times they'll let you play with them and stuff, which, you know, shows intelligence. You know, they're, they're an animal that's uh, that size. I mean, on a, you know, that's another interesting thing about the dolphin too. Their average length is a little bit more than six foot. Their average weight is about 280 to 300 pounds. They have a straight spine, and their uh, fins on both sides, front and back, have five digits inside of them. Yeah. So they know at one time this animal was an up walking right animal with a brain larger than ours. <laughs> Yeah. You got to kind of wonder, man. You know, they say we're descendants of apes. I don't know. They might be wrong. <laughs> we might be descendants of the dolphins. Uh, I guess that's not something we'll know anytime soon. But, you know, it's one of the things that makes you think. You know, I mean, they got straight spines. They're pretty much a lot like us in a lot of ways, more so than the apes are. So, But I guess our genetic material are closer to. Apes. And my computer just crashed. Uh oh. Tearing up computers. <laughs> Tearing up computers, that's never a good thing. Yeah, really. As long as none of the radio servers crash, we, we go. Yeah, right. Everything else will <laughs> crash. That, that. Well, i got to say, since Katrina, things have gotten better down here. Not yeah, that's, that's, uh, yeah, you guys are in that neighborhood, aren't you? Yeah, we're still dealing. Well, matter of fact, we're getting ready to move. Uh, we've outgrown uh, the place we're at, both for the radio station and for living, so we have to move, and we'll be doing that in about three weeks. Okay. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, hopefully there won't be any disruption to the radio station in you know, more than an hour or two uh, as we're transferring stuff. Well, we're getting ready to go AM down here in New Orleans. Okay. So, matter of fact, hopefully next time I see you, uh, we'll be broadcasting AM locally. Great. Okay. Uh, you know, which is a, a, another added feature. About two million people live down here, so uh, hopefully that'll be. I, I'm hoping if everything goes right, no explosions, no hurricanes, <laughs> anything. Yeah. Like really. That. We're, we're shooting for uh, the first part of June, the end of May, the first part of June. Great. Uh, like I said, that's barring no outrageous explosions or anything. And we'll be putting an antenna right smack in the middle of Mesbury, which should give us about, uh, I guess, right around 2 million people live in this area. Nice, the, nice. Uptown, the, the, the New Orleans area itself and the four major suburbs that surround it, and uh, the two parishes joined together. So that should give us a good amount of listeners. And nice. Paranormal down here in ufology is a big thing. People like it. Uh, they're interested in it. Even though it's the Bible Belt, they seem to still seem to be interested in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, for us, I've been lucky because I live in the Gulf South, and there seems to be an, uh, an enormous amount of contactees down here. That's what I, have, that's what I understand. Well, they, they, well I think it has more to do with deep water than it does anything else because... You know, New York is the New York City itself is the number one abduction spot in the United States. If you want to do it by numbers, it's New York City. It also shows the most amount of sightings, uh, with the next one being Los Angeles. And it makes sense to me because, come on, there's what 10 million people living there. Um, you know, every, when I was being when I first got involved in ufology, everybody, oh well, abductions only happen way out in the country to rednecks. Really? Okay. <laughs> and people yeah. who see UFOs only only rednecks. I mean, well, they were, you know, within there they would always quote me like Charles Hickson or Hickson or whatever his name is from mm-hmm. Pascagoula. I'm like, yeah, and then somebody quoted Travis Walton, and he's way up there. And I said, well, that's true. I mean, you know, occasionally you see a UFO way out in the woods. I said, but guys, I said, the majority of sightings we get come from big cities. Mexico City is by far 
the largest amount of abductions and the largest amount of sightings in any city, and it's the largest populated yeah. city in the world, which makes sense. Well, it's interesting. Types of sightings vary according to, you know, abductions seem to pretty much be proportional to the population. Yes, they do. Yep, uh, you know, sightings, however, different kinds of sightings occur out in the sticks from what occur in the cities. Well, because I think some of that, I'll give you an example. Let's go look at the Stevensville stuff that just happened. Mm -hmm. Now, I was very interested in the San Diego sighting, okay, because it seemed to be very credible, and there was some pretty good video with it, and there was some pretty good witnesses. All of a sudden, I started hearing about the Stevensville thing, and I'm like, okay. So I said, well, the witnesses sound credible, constable, you know, pilot. I'm like, you know, that's some fairly good witnesses, but there's no video, no photograph. Yeah. And... Um, it was getting this enormous amount of press. And I'm like, well, it doesn't make any sense that the San Diego sighting has video on like three different shots. They're not even talking about it, but the Stevensville thing, they're saying all kind of stuff about it. And then, you know, the Air Force said, no, it wasn't us. And then they said, yeah, it was. I got to thinking about something. I actually got to thinking about two things. I really think Stevensville was a cover-up for San Diego. I think it was a distraction to keep us distracted from what was really going on. Because I noticed, like, MUFON and all sent investigators down to Stevensville, but they didn't send any to San Diego. And uh, fortunately for me, we've got a couple of people in San okay. Diego. So, you know, I was very lucky, and I got some firsthand information on this case. But okay. it really, truly looks like that the Stevensville thing, and I, and I know our fellow ufologists don't want to hear this. This shit always gets me in trouble. But it really looks like it was a cover-up for something else. A cover-up by whom? By the government. It either okay. was one of two things going on. Either something went on in San Diego, so the government did something in, in Stevensville to get us distracted, or um, the U.S. government are working on these enormous blimps right now. I mean, they are like two miles across. One of them is going to cover, carry a telescope up to the edge of the atmosphere so that we can see out and it can be brought down in service. This is public information, ladies and gentlemen. This is okay. even covert stuff here. This thing is huge, and it moves very slow, but it has to be very big to get way up in the atmosphere because yeah, the atmosphere right. compresses it. The U.S. government is also working on fueling stations for our new space planes. They're going to put up high-altitude fueling stations for planes going in and out of the atmosphere. And also for combat missions, they want to put up like eight of these around the world that can't be reached from the ground other than, you know, you're not even going to shoot it down with a missile. It's too high. Um, you'd have to send up another space plane to get to it, and that's what they're doing. And these projects are covert, but they're not covert to the point that you can't find out information. Yeah, interesting. So I'm thinking, you know, they described this silvery round cylinder thing about a mile long moving at a very slow place, pace in Texas. Well, one of the bigger dirigible companies are in Texas, not that far from where Stevensville is. It's over by Dallas. So... I'm thinking, yeah, you see, it's hard for me to say this was an extraterrestrial. If I had to right now make a ruling on the Stevensville case, I'd have to say it was terrestrial. I would have to okay. say it was the government. I couldn't say it was alien. And I would say it was either a cover-up for what was going on in San Diego or a cover-up for what the government was doing locally. But hmm. I, don't, I, don't think Interesting. Ex, I don't think it was extraterrestrial. And, but, see, that's the point I try to get across to our fellow ufologists, Craig, not everything we see or everything we're going to deal with is going to be extraterrestrial. Yeah, and really. They, and they need to learn, you know, when it's not, you know, I understand it's a lot of press in Stevensville, okay? I understand this, but any decent investigator can look at this case and go, mm, 
this does not really fit the standard UFO criteria of a, of a, a ship. The big craft that are usually seen are black triangles, you know, the ones that are two and three and four. Yeah. Miles. Yeah, those are usually black triangles. Now, don't get me wrong, there's been some other craft that are big that have been sighted, but they're pretty distinctive, and this sounded more like, you know what, this sounded like one of the Texas airship cases. Yeah. That's it's what it sounded like. And I, I haven't followed the Stevensville case that closely. So. Uh, I wouldn't bother, I'll be honest with you. It's, but uh, but it was like a, more like a blimp shape? The, the the two major descriptions I got said it was long, silver, and about a mile long. That was from the guy in the woods and the guy standing at the end of the town. Now, one of the other descriptions I got was totally different, so you got to kind of wonder why. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the descriptions we got were definitely F-16s flying in formation. Mm -hmm. uh, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And uh, I don't know, though. You know, So I've been kind of leery about it. And, my, my biggest gripe is here is, is do the research. And if mm -hmm. the research says that it's not alien, say it's not alien. Mm -hmm. it, it gives more credibility to the field that we're willing to, first off, correct yeah. ourselves when we're wrong. And secondly, you know, if it's not alien, we're willing to say no, guys. We're sorry. Uh, are you a MUFON member as well? I used to be. Okay, you're not, you're not active not, anymore, not, huh? not anymore. I'm, I'm okay. giving James a chance. You know, uh, I, I couldn't stand John Sluice, I'll be honest with you. Really? Okay. Um, it, well, no, you know what? That's not fair. John was all right. I, I shouldn't put it on John. It's just, when I was with the move, with move on and Walt Anders was still in control, and I was still there after John came on, we, man, you, you couldn't get anything out of him. Everything I sent him just disappeared. Okay. There's still information I'm trying to get from him for cases I did 15 years ago. Yeah, that's an issue. That is a, that's an issue. They, and and you know, James said that. Information management has been a really big deal. And then I started meeting a lot of the state directors, and they seemed to be very, very new age. And, you know, they would start adding in stuff, you know, bringing in spiritual aspects of this and adding uh, other things into the research that shouldn't. It's not that ET doesn't have it may may or may not be spiritual, but in the research that they're doing on abductions, it really doesn't have a place there. And then they started a lot of them started going over whether they're spiritual brothers and they're here to enlighten us. Well, there is no evidence of that anywhere. I mean, they've been here at least ten thousand years. If they were here to be enlightening us, we'd be enlightened. I mean, you, you know, you got to judge aliens by their actions and not what you're being told. And what was going on is they were, you know judging them by what they were being told and not by their actions and not any issues with that. <laughs> yeah, you're not the first person to have ever told me that, mind you, but... Uh... Oh, I know, I know, and I know there's, I, I know a lot of people, because a lot of the MUFON members are ICAR members now, and a lot of them work for us now, and, and, you know, I understand why they were disenchanted, and I told James when I met him a couple, uh, about a year ago, just when he was taking because I was real hard on him, I'll be honest with you, Craig, I tore him a new butthole in uh, Las Vegas. <laughs> And, um, hey, I had issues, and I wanted to talk about Well, I'll tell you what happened. I'll be, we'll make this quick, people, because I know we're not talking about this. But I was, uh, I was at the bar at the Vegas conference getting a drink, and there was three guys standing behind me talking about MUFON and playing it up really hard. And I turned around and said, really, is that what y'all think about MUFON? I said, well, you know what? And the guy said, well, what do you think about MUFON? I said, you really don't want to know. He said, well, yes, I really do. So I proceeded to tell him. <laughs> And, you know, I probably had two or three white Russians, so it wasn't the politest <laughs> conversation in the world. Um, but he took it to heart. i got to tell you, he took it to heart, because when he was on Karen Dolan's show, some of my gripes he was quoting word for word. Mm, so okay. he did take it to heart, and I was glad to see that. And I told him when I talked to him the second time, I said, well, James, I didn't mean to be so hard on you, but, you know, MUFON is supposed to be the shining beacon of research in ufology, and it's a freaking laughing stock. And I said... 
um, it's doing more harm than it's doing good, and I want to see a change in any square. That's interesting that you say that. What specifically is, uh, maybe we should just take that offline somewhere, but uh, mm-hmm. it's, you know, I, that's the first time I've ever really heard that, you know, sentiment expressed that, express that strongly. Well, you know, I, I was more of an insider, too, than most people will ever get yeah. to be and move on. And, right. Um, you know, so I knew a lot of what was really going on, but every organization's got its problems. Yeah, you know, right. Uh, we have our problems. I'm not going to deny that. Between members changing their minds about stuff and people coming and going, uh, you know, it, it makes for issues for even us. Uh, sure. I, you know, I'm not going to fault someone for having problems. I am going to fault someone for their leadership of their organization mm-hmm. and their primary directorship. Sure. You know, you've met a couple of my directors. You know, they're very research orientated, mm-hmm. and uh, and and they're very vocal in their research, and and mm-hmm. they'll stand fast behind it, which is mm-hmm. not something you find at MUFON anymore. I've had about a dozen directors on in the last two years, and after talking with me ten or fifteen minutes, they start waffling real hard. You know, see, me and you have had a couple of conversations tonight. We've agreed on some stuff we didn't. You didn't waffle on what you believed on, but. These guys would start waffling, and, and next thing you know, they're agreeing on what I'm saying. I'm like, guys, well, you don't even know if I'm telling you the truth or not. Yeah. And, and that bothered me. You know, I, I took issue with that. And, yeah. You know, That's I, I, if you're going to do this kind of re- – and I told James, too, just like I told John Solution on Wake Up USA, I said, maybe y'all should stick to UFOs and leave the abduction word to more qualified individuals. I said, because apparently y'all don't know what the hell you're doing. <laughs> and I okay. can't tell you how many – and this, this, if I ever want to do a testimonial, all I'll ever have to do is contact about 150 contactees that had gone through MUFON, and they'll compare MUFON to ICAR, and I won't have to do anything else. They'll hang them for me. <laughs> do you have, uh, this is a good, you know, good time to put in a little plug for yourself here online, uh, do you have a directory of therapists and researchers that uh, are in particular areas, for example? Actually, that is something I have been wanting to do. Uh, okay. Right now, the way it is handled, and I'm going to be honest with you, uh, Linda does some of them. You've, it just depends where they're at. See, yeah. now, now we've got you coming in, so we'll, we'll start when we start finding people in your area, which i got to put a, something I need to do soon is put a chart of where everybody's at. Yeah. Um, we try to get people with, with people in their areas. Because people ask me all the time, is it free? I said, no, you got to pay for this. I said, this isn't. Well, iCard, I said, no, iCard doesn't get the money. I said, you're paying for the therapist. It's time, guys. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, this is, they went to school. It cost them money to get this degree. Mm-hmm. You know, I said, you got to understand this. This is, you know, I said, they're working with iCard to help with the abductees, but they're still, you know, doing other stuff because they've got to make a living. Yeah, right. You know, and that's the hardest part because, you know, I don't know why. Mm-hmm. People think all of this should be free. I'm mm-hmm. not sure why. Well, know. right now, my what I do is if I will, I donate my time to move on right now. And if the person it wants, if it's part of a move on investigation, I will donate my time. If the per, but if it's if the person just wants to come to me and have an abduction or regression, then I then I then then I charge my standard rates. Well, yeah, I can understand that. Basically, can. if it's uh, you because know, you you're frequently you know there will be a UFO sighting and a missing time associated with it, reality anomalies, that sort of thing. And so there's some really, really good cases, and I donate my time for that. Well, yeah, I can understand that. And, uh, well, a lot of them do. I mean, there's some of the other people that work with us will, too, because and occasionally, like, you know, I'll send different people. Um, actually, when I first met Leo Sprinkle, mm-hmm. we used to send him some people. 
Mm-hmm. And then one day he came on my show and started talking about Captain Kirk, I mean, Captain Spock and Commander Cato. And I was like, dude, have you lost your mind? Because I knew who he was talking about. I had actually done an interview with these two people, uh, Commander Cato and Roy Timms. And they came from the Starship Galleoner. Oh, anyway, uh, it was crazy stuff, Craig. I mean, it was, it was, it was. Oh man, this was straight out of fifty sci-fi. Is what this mm-hmm. was. And um, matter of fact, I even recognized some of the scenarios. And then, then the girl told me she was married to Captain Spock, the real Captain Spock from Star Trek. Hmm, interesting. Not Leonard Nimoy, but Captain Spock. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, I couldn't stop laughing. But anyway, a couple of weeks went by and. Uh, somebody had called me and said, hey, you know, Joe, that was one of Leo Sprinkle's cases. And I said, no way. I've, I've seen Leo's work. He would, he would, no way he would endorse this. So he came on the show, and he did. He endorsed it. And I was like, Leo, come on, man. You're you messing with me, right? He said, no, I'm telling you, Joe. They're, they're. I said, well, then the girl's got issues. I said, because there's no way what she's saying is true. Uh, I said, there's this first off, there was too many contradictions about what she was saying. And then secondly, the things she was saying and the scenarios she were given were straight out of sci-fi movies. I mean, yeah. I mean, I could quote some of the movies. Yeah. And uh, I was just like, there's just no way. And I, and I couldn't believe he endorsed it. So after that, we, we kind of stopped sending people. What I, I, the interesting thing I found about that, I've, I've had some pretty off-the-wall, some people pretty, tell me some pretty off-the-wall things, too. And they honestly believe that that's what's going on. Oh, I know a lot of them. Do. And my thought is, everybody has a reason for believing what they do. You know, I you know, I could pretty you, know, you could pretty quickly when you get someone in a trance or whatever, you can pretty quickly tell if someone's BSing you. But you know, and so once once you get through that, even if the thing is completely off the wall, there's a reason why they are or why they're telling you that. You know, and we, you know, it's part of our work then to just figure out why there's why why that or what that reason is. Yeah, then, well, that is part of the work is why. But then there's the ones that just outright lie. Yeah, well, I've only had a couple of those where someone was really trying to BS me. I got to say, we don't get as many as I thought we would, especially yeah. now that we're a lot more public than we used to be. Yeah, I really thought we would get more, but. Um, I notice, I guess because we are a contact research organization, uh, we get less because people figure, well, you know, these guys have got criteria and stuff. Mm-hmm. You go in and start telling them a bunch of BS. They're going to tell you to go down the road. Mm-hmm. I gotta, what area of the country are you in again? I, oh, we're, I'm in Minneapolis. Minneapolis. Who's up there? Who's up there? I got to see who's up there by to see what cases we're working on. I don't, I don't know what's going on there. I have to look at <laughs> Sounds good. Well, we got a lot of stuff going on, and I know we're getting ready to put in a new Ohio state director. And I know we got a Wisconsin state director that just started out with. Okay. <laughs> so I got to find out what they're working on. But yeah, I might get them to get in touch with you if they got a, if they're working on an abduction case where they could use regression. Or sure. Yeah. They. Um, I, I, I'll have to. I'll let you do them, then I'll bring you back in the show, and we'll talk about it. <laughs> cool. Sounds good. Uh, we do a lot of that too. Oh, speaking of that, you know what I do a lot of times, and you can think about this: if you have a contactee that like you like working with, mm-hmm. um, I've done this for several of the researchers. Uh, Yvonne Smith, I had Yvonne Smith on with uh, with Craig Jaycox and um, uh, Jim Sparks. That's how they got met each other through. Okay, I, I put them on the air together. And uh, but we've been doing it. Like Mary Rodwell was just on recently with. Uh, um, Susie Hansen, which runs a New Zealand UFO abduction organization okay. down there. And what I do is <laughs> I'll bring on the primary researcher, which would be you, 
and then the contact the and then the three of us just spend the night talking about you know the contact sure. and what they think yeah. about it and um I got to say, it makes for some very interesting shows. Yeah, all as far yeah. as I know, we're the only people who really do it like this anyway. But sure, um, that's why we tell people if you really truly want abduction information, this is the place to find it. Yeah, we right. We have more abductees to talk to. Yeah, but I'm honest about it, Craig. I, I tell people all the time, look, you know, I, I feel this way, and you, you'll hear me distinguish this. If you ever hear me speaking anywhere publicly, you'll hear me. Sometimes you'll hear me say. This is what I, Carr, thinks. And sometimes you'll hear me say this is what Joe thinks, because there's, yeah. there's a difference. <laughs> the organization and the group may, may endorse and back certain things, and that's going to be based on evidence. Mm -hmm. Sometimes with me, it's more of a gut feeling. Mm -hmm. you know. And sometimes they pan out to be right on, sometimes uh, not so right on. But, mm -hmm. you know, I'll be the first one to correct myself. That's why people ain't got to worry about it. Cause, sure. And if I see something that I think is obviously a hoax or a fraud, I'm, I'm going to say something. Sure. You know, I was, when I was talking with some, one of my friends at MUFON the other day, he was like, I don't know why y'all don't do UFO investigation. He said, you've got aircraft recognition, avionics, electronics, you worked on jets, you were on board the Nimitz. He said, you're the perfect guy for UFO. Yeah, right. I'm thinking, well, dude, I do UFO investigation work to an extent, but mm -hmm. i got to be honest with you. That's like, I, I used to be the UFO, until about, uh, about two or three, about three years ago now, I was the state investigation coordinator for MUFON in, for Minnesota, and I stepped aside of it because my hypnotherapy practice was picking up enough uh, steam that I needed to kind of devote more time to that. Yeah. But uh, one of the things I've always been looking for is basically a retired engineer, someone who is you know pretty analytical, pretty uh, pretty logical thinker, someone who you know very good at investigation. Those are the type of people you really want as field investigators. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I did the UFO thing for a while, but like I told a bunch of my researchers that asked me just recently how come we're not doing as much, I said because there's nothing to really be gained. Yeah, right. You know, I can investigate lights in the sky and UFOs yeah. until the cows come home, but it's not giving me the information that I need. The best you can do there, and I, I think this is probably where MUFON does a really good job. I mean, this is what they were formed to do, and I think they still do a pretty good job of it, is collecting data. Oh, yeah, they are. They're, they're good at collecting data. I think now, logging into CMS, we're getting some pretty good stuff showing up that uh, is beginning to, you know, and in that sense, I think they do a pretty good job of that. Well, they've always been a good uh, UFO investigation organization. Yeah. Um, so, and, and, I, and I, but I've told them that before. They should mm -hmm. stick to what they're good at. Yeah, right. And, and leave, uh, well, when I was talking with James, I'd asked him who's doing his investigation work for MUFON, and he referred me to this group of psychologists. Um, and I was like, are you thinking that you're going to get many contactees? You're not. He's not going to. Uh, most contactees are going to be intimidated by a psychologist first off for an investigation. Yeah, right. Intimidated. You know, that's something you have to work a contactee up to. That's not something you can just drop on their head. And, right. And, you know, and it's probably why we've been getting more of an influx of abductees coming to us instead of MUFON because right. of that. Um, but, you know, and, you know, it, it's weird. It, some weeks we might not see any reports. Some weeks we might see 10. Yeah. You know, and then if, if I happen to be doing guest appearances or if any of the, the different directors are doing guest appearances anywhere, you'll see a much bigger influx of cases come in. I, mm -hmm. think, I think Coast to Coast was like 500 came in that night. Yeah. There was 2,000 emails, but I think only 500. Oh, yeah. I, my, my, when I was on C2C about, you know, back, back 
about uh, six months ago, my in-basket was just piled high when I got, you know, like in the next two or three days afterwards. And some of the, some of the cases we pulled out of that were pretty good cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some of them were not so good. Some of them were okay. And some of them were just lights in the sky, which, mm-hmm. you know, we keep track of. But, see, I learned something a long time ago. If I know where the contactees are, I know where the sightings are. Yeah, right. You know, that's the thing. And that's one of the reasons that ICAR can predict sightings so much better than everyone else. You know, people ask me, give me a trend, and I'll tell them, you know, well, you, you, look, they're right here right now, so you can pretty much expect to see along this coastal line, up this side, and across here over the next three or four weeks. And that's the way it works out almost every time. Another question kind of along the lines of relationships of sightings and abductions. Uh, see if, you know, maybe you can tell me what you've seen here is that when you, when there's two groups of people that, I, that I've noticed. One of them appears to be abductees, the contactees. The other appears to be what I call perceivers, people who are sensitive but don't appear to be abductees. That, yeah, I know what you're talking about. And yeah. I've seen that a number of times now where people have had people have had sightings, some of them have been pretty beefy sightings, but at the same time, I don't get the sense that they're abductees. Well, that, that's a tough one because yeah, it is. We, we figure only probably a third of the population can even see a UFO. Yeah, right. You know, 80, and probably 80%, maybe not 80, but 70 or 80% of all UFO sightings are made by contactees or abductees, whether they know they are or not, they yeah. are. Yeah, well, um, that's, that's one of my questions is, you know, what, is there, you know, it's a rhetorical question for purposes of this discussion, but uh, are they actually un, or unaware abductees or contactees, or yeah. are they perceivers? And there have been a number of cases where I think that they are not, they're not contact, not overt contact, or they're not deliberate contactees. There may be some kind of a contact going on, but it's not an abduction. Well, but you see, now what you got to find out is, see, I've never found anybody that fits in that group that wasn't either, either, either they were either near contactees, associated with contactees, or there was a contact somewhere in the general vicinity. That's what, you know, that's, that's another possibility, and I've actually seen cases of, along those lines you know, where so I think the person, I think there's a sort of a psychic awareness that goes with that, mm-hmm. that some people are for lack of a better word, psychically awakened to the point where they can see through the veil, if you will, kind of see through the cloak. Mm-hmm. And I would say seven times out of ten that that ability to see through is awakened by something, either an abduction or maybe even a near-death experience or something like that. Now, what the bad part is, is if we could go back and track their family line for yeah, a right, yeah. years, you'd probably find there was a, a contactee in that family that's, line. Yeah, that's a distinct possibility. There's one lady I interviewed. I actually have her in, I talk about her in Bridge, where I, uh, I did, you know, she described, she played with elves as a child mm-hmm, which is and things like that, which, uh-huh, that, yeah, it jumps out at me. Aha, contactee. But, and I went through, when I took her into trance, she was a perfect hypnotic subject just dropped into trance in an instant. And we walked through that, I don't know how many times, and they were still elves. 
you know, they did not, you know, they weren't grazed, they weren't, you know, reptilians or anything like that. They were, they were elves. And uh, I asked her to examine, you know, to look at what she saw, and you know, I was like, you know, I, I basically asked her as much, as detailed the questions as basically was ethical to ask, without leading her. Yeah, without leading her. And, you know, they did not turn into greys, they did not turn into reptilians or anything like that, they were elves. You know, they were wooden forest elves, things like that. So, you know, and basically, I think that there are certain class of people that just have a kind of a psychic gift like that. You know, she's, you know, she's, the whole family is extremely psychic. Yeah, but you got I to, don't think that they're abductees, though. They, they might not be, but I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I have never met a new ager that wasn't an abductee. Correct. Yeah, that's probably true. You know, what happens is, is they, see, we learned a long time ago, um, Psychic abilities are, are most prominent amongst contactees, by far. It's like yeah, like, that, average, yeah, I'd certainly grant you that. Yeah, they're average ninety or hundred percent stronger than a than a psychic you might meet outside of a contact yeah. group. Yeah, but more than likely, somewhere along the line, there was breeding with another family. In other words, a great contactee might have slept with somebody that had kids that the Greys were not interested in. They didn't develop enough, mm -hmm. so the Greys weren't truly interested in. But yet, they still get the psychic gene. They may not be as good a psychic as some of the contactees, but they still possess the ability. Interesting way of looking at it. And, uh, but the thing for me is, is when you go back to Sumerians and the Dogon and the Egyptians, they say that these beings instilled disability on us. Yeah. They gave it to us. So if that's a true statement, then they gave it to the contactees. So anyone who's yeah. got the ability somewhere in their family, yeah. there was some type of contact. Whether I would be a little skeptical that they actually gave it to us, but... Well, My they sense might is that they're probably, a, you know, it, the interaction in a kind of a very psychic realm, such as the, the realm of the phenomenon, basically. My thought is, my theory or hypothesis or whatever is that it awakens that. Well, I, I have no doubt that when they're, when they're using it with our contactee, that you're that's the reason contactees telepathic abilities are so much better. Yeah, right. Because they're being used on a regular basis. Yeah. They're, they're being activated and used because mm -hmm. the graves don't communicate any other way but telepathic. Right. They don't write. They don't talk. They only use communications like that. So when they, when they, uh, whenever they got into our society six, ten, twenty-five thousand years ago, hundred thousand, whatever the hell it was. Uh, I'm sure it was the first thing they did was make sure that we were telepathic to understand them. Mm -hmm. Now, whether or not that was naturally bred into us, you know, from evolution or something that one of the other races did, that's anybody's guess. Yeah. And uh, uh, I would like to think it was natural, but as no one as many non-contactees as I do, most of them don't possess any psychic ability. Yeah. And, you know, they're, right. they're, you know they just don't that's have it. So, you know... Definitely another view. <laughs> you know, that, that, so that, that kind of throws me for a loop. And, see, I was the same way you were until I started meeting all these new ages that turned out to be... See, because none of them even had a clue. And listening to them talk, I wouldn't have thought they were contactees. I would have yeah. thought they were just new ages, but well, other stuff started because, showing up. Because there's a few people who have, who have wanted to see if they were abductees, and a number of new agers. And I have taken them back. We've examined different interesting moments of their lives, we have not found an abduction. Well, you might not because one of the things we learned in, when, they, when the abduction experiences changed uh, 20 years ago, when, mm -hmm. you know when I was telling you about the time thing? Mm -hmm. One of the things we ran across is they started using the contactee's own memories. In other words, 
they would take like your drive to work that mm-hmm. you do every day, something that you do a lot, and they would loop it, and it becomes your memory. So as far as you're concerned, and even under regression, as far as you're concerned, well, that's, that's what that person was doing. That's interesting. The only way we've ever been able to find out is there was a, a military person who was doing some really deep, deep, deep. I mean, they were going like level six, way, way, way down, and stumbled across this by accident um, because they, they, the memories the memories were firm, and they said, well, these are real memories. We're not going to worry about them. Mm-hmm. And then they had gotten much deeper, and then all of a sudden those memories changed, and freaked them out as well. Okay. It was it was almost like the two memories were layered together, yeah. and the one memory was in loop, and as far as you were concerned, that's all you were getting, but the other yeah. memory is in there, but, you know, I don't know, I'll be honest with you, Craig, I don't know any hypnotherapists um, that are that good. Uh, yeah. It, it's not to take away from anybody, because it's a hard job to do, and it's, you know, and it's, it's hard to interpret a lot of this information, but yeah. this is something like for yourself... This is something you would have to start working on now, getting people down to, you know, stage six or seven, way down as low as you dare take them without getting into the brainwashing aspects of this. Yeah, right. And uh, and that's another thing, you know. Yeah. Where is it, you know, that you're becoming, where is it that it will become a brainwash? Yeah, there, yeah there's a limit. There's a, uh, there's a limit to how, how deep you can how go. How deep or, well... Trance depth and the actual uh, penetration of the memories are two very different things. I found. Yeah, see that—that's one of the things we use now, Greg. This is this is why I was telling you about. This is why I was making that point about this game time earlier. One of the yeah. things we use now is, you know, we'll talk to a person and we'll say, okay, well, what were you doing? You, you saying you're kind of off day? Well, I got up and I went to work, but it only took me five minutes to get to work. And I said, well, tell me about the ride to work. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, every time they do, they realize their own selves that this was a looped memory. Because some things will be out of place, like um, one couple had had a fight one day going to work, right? Mm-hmm. Well, they looped that memory. So the people were driving a day and got pissed off, and they couldn't figure out why. Well, it's because the memory was looped. So they, those hostile feelings were coming back, even though there was no fight going on. It was just the feelings coming back in the loop. Oh, interesting. Okay. And another cool. person was telling me, she said, well, they had this uh, hot dog vendor that used to park on the side of the road, but on Thursdays, he wasn't there. He right. didn't work on Thursdays. Well, Thursday's the day they abduct her, and guess what was in her memory that day driving to work? Okay. The hot dog vendor. So it's actually, you're saying it's a, like in a planted memory. It, it is a deeply, very hard to break and plant. Now, the government okay, that, does that's this. almost like a false memory. Yeah, the government does this with mill apps, but those memories seem to be a lot easier to break. Yeah, right. It's, when the grays do this, it doesn't really, a lot of times we can't get past it, I'm going to be honest with you. We know yeah. something happened because of, like, you know, the hot dog vendor and the time thing. Yeah. But actually recovering what actually happened, a lot of times we can't. Yeah, right. Because it, the memory is so embedded in the false memory that mm-hmm. the, the contactee or the regressor can't tell the difference. Yeah, right. And again, and, and again, the, my question is, how ethical is it to do so? Yeah, well, I agree. How and ethical that's is it basically to do so? the thing I always stress. I always stress in pretty much any forum is that hypnosis is a healing tool. Yeah, I agree with that. And so if the person, if there isn't any healing value in learning that information, then you have to ask whether it's worth it or not. to actually learn that information. That's the thing. And I, I, I'll be honest with you. I usually leave that up to the contactee. When we meet a yeah, contactee exactly. and, and, and they fall into this particular category, we'll tell them, look, guys, 
there's not much we can do for you um, unless you're really willing to get into this and mm -hmm. it's going to go deep and we can't guarantee what's going to happen and we don't know what it's going to uncover mm -hmm. you know and once it's uncovered you know there's no going back yeah and um you know, and in some of these memories, there is repercussions for opening these memories up. Mm -hmm. You know, um, mm -hmm. so, you know, we know dealing with this that, you know, this could cause the contactee problems. So it, it's a tough one. It, it really is. But see, yeah. it took us a long time because we had known contactees, okay, that we had been doing regression work with and recovering memories. And all of a sudden, around 95, we couldn't recover any more memories. Then we started noticing the game time thing, and then we put the two and two together. They changed their format. Interesting. They changed the way they did abductions, and they changed the way they hid the memories, which made them almost, and that's why we, as a matter of fact, that's one of the reasons we went to this programming thing, so that we could program a contactee, because even in a false memory, if the contactee is programmed to ask a question, the answer to that question will still be there. So it, yeah. it, it, it authenticates the contact, even though the only you're only getting the loop memory, but you're getting the loop memory and the answer to the question. Mm, so you know there was a contact made, even though the only thing the person is seeing is the ride to work. Well, and, and there's a couple other times where and apparently they do make mistakes. So one couple got abducted, right? It was a Sunday. Mm -hmm. So they looped them, you know, getting up, getting his kids ready for school in the morning, and the whole nine yards. Well... Mm -hmm. Later that day, their husband and wife were talking and said, well, wait, it's Sunday. The kids didn't go to school this morning. I didn't go to work. What the hell is going on? So they looped the wrong memory. Okay. Yeah, but, that's when you look for lot those logical paradoxes. You know, so these are the way we've been finding out. But i got to yeah. say, it, it's making research a lot harder than it used to be. Yeah. And it makes me skeptical of a lot more of the contactees that say they have all of these memories and they have all this missing time. It makes yeah, me a lot more right. skeptical because... You know, we see cases where it's changed, and then you got to wonder, well, why would the grade do it with this guy but not with this girl? Yeah, right. You know, so right. what's the difference here? Somebody here is either not what they appear to be or there's something specifically different about this individual. That's fascinating. And uh, so it makes it just more complicated. Do we have any calls coming in or anything like that? I don't know. I see text scrolling by steady. I can tell you that much. I haven't seen nobody put their hands up there. Okay. I think we scared it. <laughs> well, I've noticed when we get into conversations like these, uh, mm -hmm. a lot of times you're not going to get which I don't blame. I'd rather listen to. I, and I okay. do that myself. If it's an interesting conversation, a lot of times I will sit and yeah, listen. Yeah, right. If it's a boring one, I'll always call. Yeah. <laughs> right, <laughs> I'll tell the right. I'm crap. I will. I'm sorry. I've been known to call coast to coast and say, y'all, this is boring. Can we talk about something? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, hang up and stuff like that. But, um. Uh, well, I know. I can see y'all all listening. I'm watching the, the text scroll by in the room, so I know y'all are enjoying the conversation. Mm -hmm. I know we're getting short on time here. Yeah. Y'all need to go buy this book, people. Let Please. me give you my website and all that stuff here. I, I, I'm not writing a book. If y'all don't buy Craig's book, I'm not writing a book. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not going to write a book if it sells one book. I'm sorry, yeah. guys. That ain't going to happen. But, yeah, give them the information where they can find okay, it. Okay. Uh, my website is uh, thecosmicbridge.com. And, uh, or my uh, hypnotherapy website is craigrlang.com. And you can get a hold of me at craig at craigrlang.com. And that's where the, uh, you know, so if you got any reports or anything like that, or if you want to, you know, set up an appointment or just, you know, talk to me about uh, being abdu about an abduction experience or whatever, you know, you know, tell me what the weather is there. Uh, craig at craigrlang.com is one of the uh, real, is probably my most commonly used uh, email address and then go on in and, and uh, check out thecosmicbridge.com and it's got a link to my uh, 
storefront up on Lulu, and uh, that's uh, and also so my storefront is lulu.com/slash/craigarlang. So that's you know that's my stuff. Well, guys, go visit. I was on the uh, actually I was on the what is it C four? What is that? CE4, is that where I was? Uh, say more. I'm not quite sure what you're referring to. Uh, I was on your site. Oh, the, the CE4 corner. Yeah, yeah, CE4 corner, that's it. I was newsing around there. That's where you got all those articles. That's my. That. That's where my column, I, uh, I archive my column there. I, I write a column for the Minnesota MUFON Journal called the CE4 corner, so I archive all my all my stuff there. Well, guys, y'all should go read it. You've got some pretty good stuff there. I was reading through there the other day, and I was back on the other day reading around. Oh, and if you're interested in my newsletter, if you're interested in signing up for my newsletter, too, that's on, um, you know, you can sign up to, for that through my website. What, I, I, what uh, you ought to do is uh, I, post... Anyway, I send out my, I send out that the CE4 corner is part of my bi-monthly newsletter, too, so... Well, you ought to send me, uh, uh, send me it to my email, and I'll post it, because iCar sends all, all this stuff out every week. Will do. And, uh, well, because, you know, we, uh, George Filer, we're, uh, thanks to uh, Mr. Greg, uh, George is having problems with uh, AOL wants to charge him to send oh, out okay. killer files now. So I know our good friend Greg, who's working up there in Ohio for iCar, is making a deal with him, and uh, everybody's joining up the UFO group. We have a, it's called uh, UFO Alien Phenomena Group, and uh, they're all joining up there. So his emails will be going through there now and going okay. out to everybody. So yeah, I'll, send, I'll send you, actually what I'll do is I'll just send you an uh, invitation to join the group. Well, yeah, do that, and then I'll put it in that way. It'll mail to me, and I can just post it out. Because between okay. the different mediums we send out, it should go out to four or 5,000 people. Sure, so. great. And because uh, I know one dollar clubs have got just just this paranormal group's got more than a thousand members. Okay, I will do that. I, what is your email address again? Icar at cox dot net. Okay, all right. Real okay. easy. Icar cox dot net. Yes, I said that on the air because if y'all don't know my email by now, shame on y'all people. <laughs> oh Lord. Okay, Lord. will do. I'll send that to you. I'll send the CE4 corner. I'll add I'll add your name to the. So you, it's a double opt-in. So you'll get a uh, you'll get a uh, you know a link and so just click on that and. And, and join up. Yeah, and I'll join up. That way, because that way I'll get them and we'll send them out and it'll go out to the different members. Cause Great. There's a lot of stuff, like, because we're too lazy to put our own newsletter together, so we started <laughs> just, well, I know all of you followers yeah. these days, so I'm like, look, I could put a newsletter together, so they all do their own thing. They can just send it to me and I'll post it out. And sure. It can go out like that. You know, it goes out with an iCar letterhead on it and then whoever else is on there, and it goes out like that. So that that works out nice for everybody involved, and we don't have to have the hassle of putting together a uh a monthly newsletter because okay. I gotta be honest with you, we try it a couple times. It's it's just too much work. Yeah. And, and, uh, well, the name of my newsletter is called News from the Bridge, where I have you know I, I'll have my CE4 corner article and then I'll have like one other article along with it. Okay, cool. So, yeah, I, I'm still getting griped at from some of our um, friends in the industry because I won't write an article for the different magazine. Yeah, right. Well, I was talking with Elaine Douglas about uh, a particular case that we were mm -hmm. investigating, Gray's, and one of the things mm -hmm. that goes on in a type of equipment. And she's like, I don't know why you don't write that down and send That would be a great... Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm like, because Elaine, it means i got to sit there and type <laughs> away. And, you know. My problem is, is I get like three paragraphs in and I forget what I'm thinking about. Yeah, right. And then i got to stop and read and come back. Yeah. And, you know, if, if I could... So uh, a couple of members, my wife and a few other friends, and Karen Dolan and a few others said that if I would just tape it, you know, put it on audio, they'll transcribe it. Yeah, me. right. Uh, I, I think I can, I can yeah. do that. I have a big enough mouth that mm -hmm. I can do that. Wait, you going to be anywhere anytime soon, Craig? You just hanging out? Uh, I am right now. i got a day job, and so I'm pretty much stuck in the cities. 
for a while. And uh, so basically, I, my project right now is I'm writing a, like I said, I'm writing a science fiction. I've got one that I'm, I've got one that I've finished up, and I'm beginning to look for a publisher for it. And I'm writing this. I'm writing the next, you know, the next uh, book in the series. And I'm also starting the follow-on to the Cosmic Bridge. I'm tentatively going to call it the Close Encounter Survival Guide or something like that. You know, we used to have a show, Cosmic. No, on a Bridge Universe. Huh? That's what it was called. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 He's a pretty good host. Yeah. He's the. Uh, I'm. You know, basically, it's going to be on. Because the Cosmic Bridge is basically on the human-alien relationship and how it's how it seems to be evolving. And then the, what I'm going to do as a follow-up is I want to go back and you know follow up the live with the lives of different experiencers and how they've how their relationship with the phenomenon has evolved over the last 20 years or so. That's just that that in itself would be a very interesting book. Yeah, because, that's uh, that's my thought because basically, you know, it's how people you know everybody seems to go through this stage. As a child, the phenomenon is kind of a plaything. You know, their friend, their friend with the big black eyes comes through the wall and things like that. And then, as they, as once they reach puberty, all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose, and it, you know that stays that way until I've I've noticed kind of in their thirties. You, you were saying in their late twenties. I was I've noticed it at least in their thirties. Well, we we got a thing twenty eight to thirty four. Yeah, that yeah, might be a part. But then, and then, then it kind of levels off, and it, the phenomenon changes again, and it becomes kind of a teaching phenomenon. There's a kind of a spiritual growth element that seems to feed into it. Mid thirties, mid forties, somewhere up. And that, then that's when people's memories start coming through too. Yeah, and then you'll find uh, in their early forties to mid fifties, there's another stage. That's what we call the keepers. Yeah, and that's the ones that actually, well, not the only way to say it is they work for the Greys or they're yeah. really into the humans. They yeah, work. I've seen a little of that. Yeah, and, and they, and honestly, I like them the best because they seem to have the most uh, cognitive information. Uh, yeah, they, you know, the Greys, I guess, because once they reach a certain place and they are actually working, you know, for them and not under duress or not being threatened. Yeah. I guess they feel like that they can be trusted more and they're allowed to uh, hold more information, which, yeah. is, which is an interesting thing. In right. Itself. But you rarely see that in anybody younger than about 40. Um, about yeah. Fact, I think the youngest keeper I know is like 42 or 43. Yeah. So it's it's not something you see a lot of, but you do see it as they get older. But, yeah, we, we figured... We say late 20s because the overall majority of them seem to stop in the late 20s. But as far as I know, it does carry up to about the mid-30s. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why you have the stragglers that go past 30, but they do. So you, yeah. you, have, to, you have to throw that in. Sure. It just seems like the majority seem to stop around 28, 29, 30. I've had uh, one, there's one, one or two men who have had kind of sexual, sexual aspects of it into their, you know, they were seniors. And it was still, and that was still going on. Well, I know the milking machine goes on for life. Yeah, right. And uh, which is the first time someone described me that, he's like, "Joe, I'm telling you, it's like the milking machine they use on a cow." Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. And uh, but you know, after talking to enough guys, I realized, well, this is a real phenomenon. And mm -hmm. then I know we're out of time, but there's uh, this thing with these female hybrids. Uh, the first time I heard this, I was like, dude, you are crazy as a loon, man. You, I'm telling you. And uh, 
but it was a new way of extracting sperm, and it was very, very interesting in itself. But mm -hmm. in a, it's probably not for a G-rated format. <laughs> but <laughs> um, it was uh, the first time I heard it. I got to say, I thought the guy was loony as, as a dude. Yeah. But after I heard it a couple of dozen more times, mm -hmm. I realized, well, this is an interesting development, sure. phenomenon. And then we realized too that um, where couples have found each other. You know, on board the ships, young couples, older couples. Mm -hmm. uh, we've also seen in contact group groups, especially in ICAR, that a lot of these people find each other and marry each other. Yeah, and that's was, uh, that's that's a, that's actually was the topic of my sci-fi. Yeah. Oh, is it? I, cool. I call it the fifth key. Yeah, because that that's something that seems to happen uh, mm -hmm. more frequently. Than yeah, the not. two the two main characters are, uh, and of course, you got to have international intrigue and that sort of stuff in there well, too. Yeah. But it's you know it's a, it's a novel, so you got to have some kind of suspense and all that stuff. Well, yeah, but it's uh, but you know, I have the two main characters, uh, Kip and Susan, are a uh, you know there's independent plot lines and they come together, and yeah, and they realize that they've been manipulated by the phenomenon for all their lives. Yeah. Well, guys, I know we're out of time, and I'm running into Kevin okay. Smith. Yeah, on the line though, I want to hear about that. Uh, I want to hear about that alien free zone. Yeah, we will. We, uh, when, uh, when we get when we get done here in a second, I will. Great. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, next week's going to be Mary Rodwell. She'll be on. We'll be discussing several cases in Australia and New Zealand. Also, we'll be talking about uh, 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 Suzanne Hansen as well, because she'll be coming on not too long after Mary Rodwell's on, so we'll be discussing that as well. So I look forward to seeing everybody next week. Craig, again, thanks for being on. Tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me. You did a great job. Thanks. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you all enjoyed the show, and I hope you all come back next week. And actually, until next Wednesday, pay attention, people. Look up in the skies. Even if it's a look at the beautiful stars, just look up, okay? Stop and walking with your feet, your face facing down. And when you're not looking up, look at thecosmicbridge.com. That's right. I agree <laughs> with that. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, we're out of here. We're out of time. I hope everybody enjoyed the show. And until next week, have fun. Take care. Thanks a lot. Yeah, we're clear now. Okay.